0: Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, Let's give God a hand clap this morning as we celebrate that we get to come before him. Yeah. And I love the combination there um, that we just heard, that there's a part that maybe, as Sam was saying, you come in and you're not not there to rejoice, but others are rejoicing on your behalf and proclaiming that over you. That maybe you come in tempted to despair, but there's a community of people lifting you up this morning. Amen. Amen. Mm Well, uh, my name is Eric Thien. I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. It's good to have you all out today on a nice summer weekend. It's been really great to be able to hang out outside a good bit more. Actually, well, we, we hang out outside because since we came from Phoenix, your summers are like nice and mild, all right? I'm the crazy person, 90 degrees with my windows rolled down, just like loving every bit of it um, because it's tame for us. But it's good uh, to be able to hang out outside and be um, kind of uplifted through that this morning. If you're new, we just want to say welcome. We're excited. I want to go ahead and just take a quick moment. Um, We want to dismiss a handful of our kids. I think this morning we have kindergarten and first grade um, classes this morning. So if you're in kindergarten or first grade, you are hereby officially dismissed to go to your class this morning um before we move on though we also have kind of a unique uh, thing a few months ago we did one of the first ones just since the pandemic Um, We're trying to find ways to help put in front of our congregation um, during this time. We've had so many people coming and checking out Common Ground Northeast, and some have decided to make this their home church, is to um, find ways of putting that group of people in front of you so you can see who has begun to uh, uh, come into our fold, but not just come in, but to commit and be a part of our congregation here. And so we have some pictures up. I'll say their names as we introduce it, but we want to just celebrate them here this morning. And if you see them um, today, make sure you go and say hello, welcome them. And say uh, uh, welcome to Common Ground Northeast. Carter Lloyd who's actually leading uh, up in the booth right now. <laughs> he's actually taken on a pretty strong volunteer lead with our AV Tech and online ministry. So we're just glad that he's here. And then we also have Lauren Feeter, And I don't know if she's here right now, but she might be online. Nope. <laughs> All right. Glad to have Lauren out. All right. Let's go to the next one. right, Mick Dades, we got Nathan, Aaron, Elson, Addy, I know they're here, I saw at least Aaron here today. What's up y'all? They've actually been around for quite a while. I think I even got a text literally when we did this last time, in the moment. You're like, how did you not get us in there, man? So, my bad, but we got you this time. Johnny, Janelle, Will, Hope, and Zoe Knox. Y'all are here today. Um, They actually have served as missionaries in Myanmar along um, with another family here inside of our congregation, The Wallaces, who led worship last week. Um, So be praying for them. Y'all are trying to make sure, find a way back into the country. They were not, um, they had to leave unexpectedly because of some tensions happening there politically. So we're praying for them and hoping as we pray uh, that they'll be able to get back in there and minister again in Myanmar um, here in the next couple months. So just be praying for them. Um, and we're glad that while they're here stateside, at least we get a chance to have them here. Uh, And I can't tell you how many times the Johnny Knox joke gets made, but oh man, I I had to mention it. And then Gwen Groves, who's also been here for a few months now. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have you, Gwen. Um, Gwen is uh, close with Pastor Ken and Laura Rush, and so um, they have begun coming here for a while, and we're excited that you're a part of our congregation. So let's do one more big round of applause just to say thank you for those who are coming. If you are new and you'd like to be a part of being a committed, uh, we don't have membership officially, so what we want to do is recognize those who have said, this is our community, this is our church home. Um, So please, if you have a chance, go to our CGDNA class for newcomers. Check it out. You can learn more. Then we'll kind of meet with you and then eventually ask, you know, down the line, is this a place that you want to call your church home? And if that's true, probably in the next month or two, um, we'll be uh, doing another round of these just because we've had so many people come through. I think at one point, I recognized in the last year and a half or so uh probably it's definitely not half a year we had like 21 new households come and be a part of it so we're excited for when after the summer scatter finishes and we all get to come back together in the fall it's going to be an exciting time to see um how our church has grown um real quick uh i wanted to do a quick shout out for vbs the registration is open right now and it's an evening vbs we're doing it in the evening Um, So you can help out or participate in it, but the registration for that is June 12th. That ends on June 12th, all right? So if you haven't registered yet, please make sure that you register for that. Um, And then uh, the last thing before we move on is just a quick little update from some of our plans for justice and reconciliation. If you've been a part of Common Ground for a while, you know this is a high, high value for us, all right? And so there's some things that we've been working on behind the scenes for years. Now as new people are coming and as we're emerging from the pandemic, it's kind of like um, we want to we reestablish some commitments that we've made to that ministry. And so, um, behind the scenes, we have been working consistently to try to figure out um, a long-game approach to the gospel, uh, to having gospel music worship leaders here on site. It's kind of the short game is having guests here, and we've done that here and there. And you guys might remember Matt Mosley, who used to lead um, worship here um, about once a month, and he would lead um, and bring friends, and there would be a gospel-like kind of Sunday. Um, and so... Um, what we want to do is to try to establish that as a long game solution where we on a regular basis have g- a gospel team here to help lead. Um, and there's even some people who are considering checking out Common Ground as their home church to participate and help us with that. In addition is the, just, uh, sorry, the gospel and race trainings that we used to do. We had workshop one and two, um, if you remember that. And we had all of our leaders go through workshop one, and we we're trying to work through that. And we also had a book that we had people read. Um, but we just think that it's time to offer a... Uh, uh, another workshop set. And so um, one of our elders right now, Anthony Dubis, Um he will be helping us to host that. Uh, and so it will be a different one. If you've taken workshop one or two, um, then this will be a little bit different. It's something that Anthony has been doing, and he does in other places. Um, he'll be doing a workshop and we'll be adding to that here on August 27th. All right. So before the end of the summer, we have a training for the Gospel and Race um, workshop training August 27th. It'll be in the morning on a Saturday. So just keep that on your radar. If they wanted to learn more, that'll be a good place to start. We'll also have plenty of resources for you as you um, jump into that. Um, as, we, as we move towards the sermon today, um, I want to pray because today is uh, Pentecost Sunday. How many of you all knew that? All right. All right. Yeah. We're excited for Pentecost Sunday. So on the liturgical calendar, this is when we routinely, on a yearly basis, we have Advent, we have Lent, we have Easter. Uh, then there's Easter Tide and Pentecost is on the liturgical calendar, the day that we find ourselves in, which is traditionally when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. All right, tongues of fire, rushing wind, it was an exciting moment in the life of the church. And what I want to do is to pray according to that, because as we have been learning and teaching on the Holy Spirit, who knows what God might do on Pentecost Sunday, right? Are you ready for that? <laughs> like, wait a minute, hold up, what did you just say? And so let me pray according to that, but this is the prayer that's been here for all us. We, we have one spirit g- giving us different gifts, keeping us together, and so we want to ask God to release his spirit anew, but to raise our expectations of what he might do in our congregation on a given Sunday. That's my prayer. Would you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the gifts that you give us. And that we get to walk in them. And that our community benefits from them, Lord. You came on Pentecost. So today on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate in remembrance what you did in Acts. And that you catalyzed a movement you empowered. You breathed wind into the sails of the church so that it would move and spread powerfully inside of the areas that you had designated. And so, God, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, we are still in that movement, participating. That was their story that we read in Acts. Now it's our time to take that story forward. So help us to advance the gospel, God. Empower us, your Holy Spirit, and let us not quench you, Spirit. So we ask for you to do whatever you want to do. We're open, Lord. We're open, Lord. we ask for this right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, one of the reasons we're praying that prayer is because we come from a culture that fosters skepticism in the area of anything supernatural, right? And so in my own journey, what I wanted you to know is I had a lot of skepticism coming into this. Even as I was reading about this in the scriptures, as I was displaying some of the gifts myself and other people were even trying to teach me and say, hey man, I think you might, like, let me reveal a few things in your own life. I had a hard time grasping it because for a very, very long time, I had been taught that things like this don't happen. That supernatural moves of God or the Holy Spirit were something for the beginning of the church but not for now. Something maybe weird denominations do now. Or maybe those really overly emotional people still embrace today. And what I learned over the time is that wasn't necessarily true. That God wants to move today. And so one of the milestones for change was when this pastor, his name was Pat, he was praying over me at a retreat. Pat called me a prophet. I was like, "Ah," you know, like kind of dodging it, trying not to hear all of that. And what he was doing is praying over each person at this retreat. And uh, in the midst of this, what he did is he put his hands on me, and he said, do you remember that time in the Old Testament when Saul was chasing after donkeys? Like, no, dude, nobody remembers that weird one thing where... Saul was chasing donkeys. He's like, well, never mind. The reason is because he's chasing donkeys. He runs into the prophet Samuel. Samuel says, hey, those donkeys are taking care of. God was using that to get you out here. I need you to go meet with a group of prophets in the wilderness. And when you meet with that group of prophets, you will begin prophesying. And your life is never going to be the same. And he said, now I know King Saul was not known as a good king. I'm not praying that over you. But what I do think is happening is God has brought you out here into your own wilderness retreat. And you were surrounded by prophets, and he's going to make you a prophet, and your life is never going to be the same on the other side of this. Cool. All right. That's a, that's a I'll, you know, great. Thank you. I'll write it down. I'm going to pray about that later. And then he walks away. So he's going to go pray over the next person. And he says, oh, and there's this, like, one more thing. And he's, I'm sitting on a chair, and he's like, and it's like God's laughing as he's saying, but he's telling me to tell you this. You're always asking me to speak to you, and I already am. And then, bam, he's off to the next one what he didn't know about me and what the Holy Spirit reminded me of in that exact moment is that I've been keeping a journal since nineteen ninety seven you can see my old crazy one right here right and then I upgraded to one of these more fashionable moleskins and as it was happening You can actually track my walk with God. In here, it's just me talking about things in my life, kind of recording things. I'm a teenager, right? So it's like really silly things that are pretty embarrassing now when I go back and read it. And then as you see me come to know Jesus, I start to ask questions like, God, if you're real, like I'm seeking, right? God, if you're real, then tell me that you're real. Show me, God. And then as I begin to accept Jesus as Messiah, and this isn't all of them, I still have one today. You see me carry it around and I put things in it. What I, did, what I realized is as I have been keeping these journals, over the time I'm starting to pray according to this. I, I become a Christian. All of my journal entries become prayers to God. And I'm talking back and forth, trying to ask God some things. Um, and what I realized is I had this preoccupation and I signed off almost every single entry with one of these three things. Lord, let me hear your voice. Father, speak to me. God, give me ears to hear and eyes to see. It's like this preoccupation, wanting to hear from God over and over. When this pastor prayed what he prayed and said what he said at the end, it was like, oh, maybe that's what this is. And it even hit me, maybe I haven't realized it, but I've been praying for the gift of prophecy for years, and I just didn't know what to call it. And so I wrote down, I became more intentional, writing down dreams, visions, things that maybe were from God, maybe not. I wasn't sure. I just wanted to record it so I could look back and see if any of it held true, if any of it informed anything going forward. And I don't know how everyone receives this. Like, I get this is weird, right? Like, this is a weird thing for anyone to just be doing. Um, But. Uh, and, and I would say there's even anxiety, like maybe this is too far, maybe it crosses a line, maybe it discredits me for some of you, because that's just like kind of an odd thing for somebody to do, but I think it's important because of this. As I began, as I begin to teach this gift of prophecy today and discerning of spirits, I want you to know that first I was a skeptic, and I tried to avoid it, and I tried to dodge it, I tried to explain it away, that's not what this is, it's something else, right, it's like it's a different... You know, just a skill that I have, and maybe it looks like prophecy to you, so, why, so stop saying that, right? Then God confronted me with the idea that maybe it was a gift, and he wanted me to walk in it. And he told me that I was avoiding this. Well, if you know me in true Eric theme fashion, I began to study it. <laughs> and I read as many books as I could collect as much information as possible around the idea of hearing from God and prophecy. i was just studying as much as I could inside of the scriptures. I was talking to people asking like, what, what's your view of prophecy? Some people that I knew that I trusted that were more charismatic than my church upbringing. What does it mean to hear from God? And eventually I really was convinced, like I think I do have this gift. And so in the midst of embracing that though, and in the context that I was operating, I felt like I was embarrassed. I had to hide it. Like what if I say something and people just think I'm kind of a weirdo for saying that. I saw a picture in my head or, or this thing. So I was afraid of what others might think. I allowed fear of man to hinder the operation or the growth of this gift. And I don't know that I've even fully gotten over that today. This is part of me just throwing it out there. So in transparency, I'm trying to still get over it. I want to bring others on this journey and I don't want others to be hindered in their walk in this. And so what I want to do is share a little bit of that through this sermon, the story, but I also want us to start first and foremost with the Scriptures. I'm going to end cap this with a gift of why I think there's an urgency maybe around this too. But first what I want to do is invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians. We've been going through 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 14. And we want to ask God to inform us on the gift of prophecy. We're going to spend most of our time there because it's connected to the Old Testament. And there needs to be some explanation there. And then we will end with discerning of spirits. Next week we will hit tongues and the, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, and then our series will be done. So the gift of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14 gives us a lot on this. Verse four, uh, sorry, 14, verse 1, and I believe we're going through 5 or 6. The verses will be up here if you don't have a script, uh, the Bible in front of you. It says, "Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They may utter, or sorry, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy." The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And so in this context, what we have is Paul setting up a compare and contrast between this gift and the gift of speaking in tongues. The reason he's doing that is because he's talking about what happens in a public setting, in a gathering of people. Tongues are for you personally, but this is for uh, the group. And so it's greater, not out of hierarchy, but greater because it, it benefits everyone in a gathering of people. And so prophecy, as we just learned, is these three things. To be eagerly desired. To <clears throat> Prophecy speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and their comfort. And prophecy edifies the church, as opposed to the personal edification of tongues in this context. Now when we get here, what we see is more like descriptions. What we see is like... Uh, um, Uh, the what happens as a result of prophecy but what about a definition because if you read this what's happening is paul assumes the corinthians already know a definition and the the corinthians seem to understand that there's a definition on the other side we're the ones reading their letter a thousand years later trying to figure out what's the definition of prophecy and so what we want to do is kind of talk about that these are the outcomes we don't have a direct definition inside the scriptures but what we do have to build on is the foundation of the old testament office of prophet and then some other things so the office of prophet in the old testament is basically a mouthpiece it's somebody who goes to god hears for them then gives that message to the people of god it's a pretty simple definition and in the old testament the prophet was a distinct position of authority held by just a few people they were set apart from just the average person and they gave warnings Uh, for the future, things that would happen in the future, calls to repentance and declarations of the day of the Lord or when Jesus, what we now know as Jesus, but when the Lord comes, when Yahweh comes. Very often they would write in poetry and so the language had to be discerned. When they spoke, it was of the highest authority and that's where we get this, thus saith the Lord or hear the prophecy of God and then they would speak in first person on behalf of God. So that's a lot of authority. And so they would begin speaking, and then they would end it and say that was the word of God, the message of God. Now, because of the power they had in that time, I mean, they were, they were the highest level of governing official for a time in the history of Israel. They had to be 100% accurate. And if they weren't 100% accurate or if they led someone astray intentionally or otherwise, it was a penalty that could be execution because they would be named a false prophet. Think of the intensity of that moment. And what we have today, what we see in the New Testament is different. And you might, so the question is like, well, how is it different? Why is it different? I've even talked to somebody who's like, you know, if we have prophets today, then we got to like kill them when they're wrong. Got to get the stones out. And I'm like, no, man, that's not what's going on here. Well, here's what's changed. We have Jesus's life, meaning he has a priestly role that he fulfilled, a sacrifice which he fulfilled, and he gave us an example of how we are to live. And so we have this reorientation with our relationship to the covenant law through the example of his life. So we no longer have to give sacrifices because Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. We no longer have to have a priest between us and God. You can pray directly to God. So this this whole thing is reoriented, the way in which we as a community of believers engage God. The second thing was the impartation of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Holy Ghost is now God indwelling within us. He used to dwell in tabernacles. Now he dwells in the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our body. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. And so we now no longer have to go to a prophet as a mediator. But we have been empowered to do all kinds of things. But in the context we're talking about, to have a gift of, not an office, but a gift of prophecy. And then third, the word of God was solidified. In the canon. So we have the scriptures to look at. And New Testament prophecy is less authoritative because now we submit ourselves, we surrender ourselves to the word of God, we come underneath it, meaning there is no more, thus saith the Lord. We've said this over and over throughout this series. It is what, what agrees with the scriptures, it comes underneath it, it is held against it, it is tested by the word of God. And if you say something that you believe is a prophecy and it's not in the scripture, you're wrong. You messed up. And so what we want to do is to hold ourselves to those three things that have changed and reoriented what once was an office of an official authority has now, for just a few, has now become a gift that is available to all believers through the Holy Spirit. That's good news. So this transition takes place and now what we look at is what in the scriptures give us descriptions? What what can we know? We know that this prophetic gift was a verbal or written impartation where God gives a person or a group of people insight that they would not have known otherwise to edify them, to direct them, to encourage them. I want to give you a couple more definitions as I have throughout this series just to kind of round it out a little bit. One commentator said prophets are the ones who hear and listen to God. Simple enough. I like the second part better. It adds to it. They are usually pioneer thinkers who envision a future for the church, which the church cannot see yet, and they point towards it. All right, you see how that kind of plays out? Another source said, New Testament prophetic gifting shares a common feature with the Old Testament prophets, declaring a, m- a message believed to have been received directly from God, but that consistently seems to include two things, foretelling, or the prediction of future events, and forthtelling. All right? Sounds similar, foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling, forth is exhorting or challenging people about God's will for their life, and that often includes sin. So I love this. We have foretell and foretell. I'm going to stick with this for a little bit because I want us to see this. It, it tends to be kind of a caricature of one or the other, right? When you hear about somebody who thinks that they have prophetic gifting, you kind of have these stereotypes. One is that they think that they're some kind of fortune teller for Team Jesus, right? Like maybe some crystal ball gets pulled out and they go in to speak with God. That's not at all what's happening. He's not, we're not fortune tellers. Or the other one is that they're just these angry people with kind of a crooked finger pointing out everyone's sins, right? You have the brother Jeb stereotype. I mean, I guess that's not a stereotype. It literally exists on college campuses and in city squares all over the place. The megaphone, and they're yelling at people to repent or die. So we can kind of get caught up, like, so which one is it? This stereotype or this stereotype? Well, it's neither. Neither what I want to do is destroy this idea, this caricature idea of some kind of angry psychic on behalf of God. But what is true is there is a grain of truth in both of these. Let me tell you why I think both of those exist today. It seems prophetic gifting would include both foretelling and foretelling, meaning that, 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 if they are actually getting their information from god who is beyond our limitations of knowledge beyond our limited vision outside of our time restrictions this message would be reflective of that and so the message that god might give us is one where it could be something from the future that he's telling us because he stands outside of it and he's just making sure we're aware Or it could be just wisdom that we couldn't have known because we don't know everything that's happening. Really, the idea is that there's somebody listening intently, asking God, speak to me, and then able to give that message out. And sometimes it seems like something that comes from the future. They would also have this idea of a foretelling future. One is this example where Joseph, uh, sorry, one example of foretelling is Joseph interpreting the dream for the Egyptian pharaoh. Prepare for a famine. So Pharaoh has a dream, Joseph comes in and interprets it, and because they saw this coming, they were able to weather that famine well. And so we have some prophecies that are foretelling. Another kind of prophetic message involves foretelling. It's the call to repent from sin, or better, a call to return back, listen to this, into a right relationship with God's people who have violated it. So I know we kind of think about that that idea of sin and calling people out, but really it's like a call to return. Come back to Him. Come back to the Father. He is ready to receive you. The third thing, we have lots of uh, examples of that in the Old Testament. A third is a common, uh, a third kind of common message from prophetic um, culture, uh, prophetic tradition, is the declaration of the coming of the day of the Lord. And I still believe that happens today as well. In the end, we have this prophetic message that contains all kinds of possible communication and a prophetic gifting is simply to be a conduit or a vessel of communication for that God to be done and delivered obediently. All right? So that's why I think it kind of involves both of those sides. One of the questions that, you know, kind of happens is like, well, how, how does this gift show itself up in a gathering of believers today? This is how I think it happens. Um, we have examples of, at least, dreams and visions. Acts doubles down on that and says he's going to pour out dreams and visions on the young and old, on both male and female. All right. And so there's dreams, there's visions, there's an impartation of thoughts or impressions, and I'll tell you how that works itself out in my life. Words and messages from God. Um, if you, you might be thinking, well, how does that differ than the, the um, we talked about word of knowledge and word of wisdom earlier on in this series. I actually think there's some overlap there. I don't think it's a problem um, that sometimes a prophetic impartation might come across as a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. I think there's overlap and similarity. It all comes from the same spirit and just kinda communicates out differently. How does it work itself out in life? Well, I, I, so this is the most obvious way. I think during preaching and teaching times, this can obviously come out. It makes sense that during a conventional moment of teaching and preaching, as me, um, as a teacher here, uh, what I'll do is go to the scriptures intently. I'm intentionally preparing according to what I think God might want you to hear today, seeking the gathering of believers uh, to, to come into a new place of knowledge that God might disclose not just a Um, a good message, but a timely message, and what we need to hear right now and in this time. And I think that can, obviously, like turn into a prophetic message, though I don't believe every message that a pastor or preacher gives has the same weight or intention as a prophetic um, gift. But I just think sometimes it happens during that time. Poetry. Well, like we see in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of poems that that um, the, the, uh, the prophets speak in. It, it can feel like riddles at times. So what they're using is all kinds of metaphors that, that God is using. You see it in the visions that God gives them as he's showing them like there's seven cows and that means seven things are gonna happen here and then there's seven this. And then you see the, the, um, the, the statue in Daniel and there's a feet made of clay, then bronze. And these, all, things, all of these things have some sort of um, symbolic meaning in the midst of it. So I think just like the prophetic tradition in the Old Testament, word pictures abstract kind of clues and this stuff works really well for artists so I think often people with prophetic gifting become worship leaders they become artists they become storytellers they become movie makers they become song uh, writers because that's where that language lives most comfortably in our time today I also think it can come through in prayer focused prayer, seeking God on a given topic or a specific time that God might speak to you in a certain way that is prophetic. Um, I had a season where I would wake up at 4 a.m. and just go down on our couch to probably get some coffee and I would just sit and say, okay, God, what do you want to say to me? And sometimes I would get nothing and it would just be a normal devotion time and at other times it would be like thoughts would flood my mind and I would just start writing them down inside of this journal and praying according to those things. When I pray um, for people, I will often have a picture or a series of pictures that just develops in my imagination. So if I'm praying over you, what I'll tend to do is say, oh, I have this picture of you where this is going on or something is happening to you. And I'll just say, maybe it's my imagination um, or maybe it's God. So I'm just going to use that to pray. And so um, more, more recently, oil, anointing oil has been in my imagination. So I prayed um, according to those things, right? So, so at times it's just through prayer, and it overflows, this, this gifting happens in there. And then other times it's like a pressing thought. I used all four Ps, by the way. Are you impressed? I did it. I did it. Uh, alliteration. Uh, wait, uh, I can't remember which device it is. Alliteration, yeah? Yeah, all right. I don't know why I want to say onomatopoeia. That sounds, uh, it's a fun word. So pressing things, uh, things that come in, do- doing, I'm um, th- um, doing or thinking something completely different. And then all of a sudden, spontaneously, there's like this interruptive thought that enters into my mind that has nothing to do with whatever I'm doing. Now, I like that because it actually validates what's happening because I know it wasn't just my thought process, you know, going on a a train of thought that eventually lands to something. So if you come to me and tell me something's going on with your car and all of a sudden I have a picture of a car being fixed, that, that makes sense, it's a train of thought. Now, if I haven't talked to you and I have a picture of a car needing to get fixed, and then i call you and say hey is there something wrong with your car you're like well yeah i I just took it to the to get something done with it that's never happened i made that up just on the spot but do you see what i'm saying it's spontaneous it's not my own train of thought and i will tend to give a little bit more weight like okay god is that you and so when it comes out of nowhere i consider wasn't this wasn't just my own thought this was something um outside of the natural process of my thinking now sometimes a message or a thought is something that comes from my, uh, um, for me. It's just for my own awareness. Sometimes it is for someone else. And there have been times where God has told me, like, this is happening. This is the message. Don't tell them yet. And so I feel like that's, again, I write it down and I just hold on to it and wait for God to say, tell them when it's appropriate inside of that timing. Um, this is, uh, th- I use this for the word of knowledge and the, and the, um, the word of wisdom, but there's like a little graph that I kind of tend to do. This is just a look, a peek into my own mind, <clears throat> where we kind of have these two worlds. Um, there's some messages have a lot of risk to them, some don't, right? You guys remember this message or this, uh, this little graph thing that we put together? Then sometimes I have a lot of certainty. This feels definitely from the Holy Spirit or like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. It could be from the Holy Spirit. And so what I do is kind of in my mind real quickly gauge this on this X and Y axis, And I apply this same thing to any kind of prophetic message. If there's a lot of risk involved, then I might say it. If I'm not very certain, I'm probably not going to say it because it could be dangerous. and I'll just pray on my own for whatever that is. If I'm very certain but there's a lot of risk, it's something I'm going to weigh heavily and discern before speaking. And that top left, if there's low risk and certainty, I just say it pretty freely. Because in the end, if I'm wrong, it's, it's at least encouragement to you, right? Like if the Holy Spirit says, tell them they're really awesome right now that's pretty generally too. you have the image of God you're an awesome person hey you're awesome and I may or may not say God told me to say that I'm not sure I might just throw it out there so this is kind of the the way in which I vet all of these ideas and thoughts and things that come into my mind there's one more aspect from the scriptures that I wanted to read to you because it's not just for the body internally um, but that you see because prophecy isn't just meant for the church, but also outside. So jump down to verse 22 through 23, and I'm going to go ahead and read that out loud. The in-between parts are about tongues, and we'll come back to that next week. Verse 22 says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for unbelievers. Or, sorry, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires, or unbelievers come in, will they not say, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? But if an unbeliever and an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And so we have this way in which prophetic things can overflow into the lives of people who don't know God. Can you see how powerful it might be for somebody to hear something about their lives that maybe I didn't know, but God just gave me that information. And I say, hey, this is happening. I told you that, that story of the, of the lady um, who came to the woman in the airport and said donuts. And the lady said, how did you know that word? Well, I don't know. God just told it to me. And she said, my, my mom and I made an agreement before we died that whoever died first would come back if there's an afterlife and tell us a code word. The code word had to be so weird that no one would guess it. It was donuts. And so this lady said, well, I want you to know that God told me that word, not your mom. And there is an afterlife. And if you want to know more about the one who told me, Jesus, then I'm happy to meet with you. All right? So you could see how that could be very powerful. It has a missional implication. And Acts 2 makes it very clear as people, um, you know, the Holy Spirit hits and people are hearing in their own language um, when the Holy Spirit moves. Um, Acts records the Macedonian moment where a vision of God breaks barriers for the gospel to expand into new territory. And so one person receives a vision who did not know this person over here named Cornelius, they receive a similar vision. God tells them to meet and talk about it. And then because of that, the gospel breaks into a whole new city, a whole new area of, of the influence of that second person. All right? Last little piece I want to read. Jump to verse 29, and then we'll finish out here. Verse 29, <clears throat> 1429 says this. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits or prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people." And so there's a little bit of ordered practicality, right? If people are speaking over each other, and it's probably true that that's what was happening in the Corinthian church, they had these gifts, and he was trying to teach them how to use them in an ordered way, even possibly that the whole service revolved around everyone being quiet, waiting for a word from God. And so he's saying, look, let's be practical about this. What I want you to do is not talk over each other, take turns, maybe two or three so that it's not just overwhelming, um, and that's about what I'm going to hand out anyways. And then this, I want you to weigh it or discern it. Verse 32 tells us that there will be some kind of accountability amongst the congregation, that a few people with this gift should be able to discern, hold you accountable, and make sense of the message if it needs clarification. And so 1 John 4 1 adds, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. See whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. One thing to note is that while Paul corrects them, he doesn't shut them down, they're making mistakes. And he says, look, I need you just to do it better. In our day and age, I think, hey, you made a mistake, man. It's done. You got you to gotta just stop with the prophecy stuff. You must be wrong. And that's different from the Old Testament, right? It's this car wreck analogy. Just because we have car wrecks doesn't mean we, we get rid of all the cars. We try to teach people to be better car drivers. Amen? <laughs> so correct the thing that needs to be corrected. Now, I want to give a couple notes from my experience, and I can tell we're, we're, we're pushing up against time, so I'm going to jump over some things. Um, for me, this tends to be a spontaneous, non-predictable, like I'm not in control. If you come up to me and say prophesy over me right now, I don't, I can't, I may or may not be able to. So it's not like something that happens like, like um, what Pat was doing to me in that time seemed to be a little bit more controlled. I have not experienced that, but it kind of happens on its own. And I'll just pray, and if something happens, I prayed over this room, the congregation. There were three things that God wanted me to say to three separate people, and I will talk to you three on your own after this. But I, I, I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe it's from God. Maybe it's not. Um, but the, if I was on call, I could just, you know, walk up to you and just pray, and something, you know, supernatural would happen. I, I just don't have that ability. That's not been my experience. The second thing for me is I do have dreams that inform me about things. They have changed the trajectory of my life at times and have been predictive and come true at times, but not all the dreams that I think were from God did. Sometimes I wake up and I just know that was significant, and I need to pay attention, and I need to follow that, and I need to track it and, 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 and see what happens with it. It's meaningful. It's potent. Sometimes it haunts me. Sometimes I'll see something in a dream, and I will It'll carry with me throughout a long time, and um, it, it, it'll, uh, it'll bother me, and I know that's someti- something that needs to be paid attention to, and so I'll pay attention to that one. Ask God, what does he want me to do with it. It's, um, uh, it? It seems to be just something that's not always under my own control, and that may or may not be your experience. Now, I mentioned I get pictures in my head while I'm praying for others, so I'll pray according to that. Sometimes I'm not sure whether it's God. I actually already said that. Sometimes it's just my imagination, and I pray something that's a picture over, over you. Um, but what I'll do sometimes is not tell anyone that it's something I felt like God came from. I'll just sow it out there, say it. Sometimes I will write it into my sermons and just see what happens. It's just like my way of sowing out the possibility that this could be prophetic, and if it is, it'll hit someone just right, and God will do something with that in that moment. Um, The other thing I think is interesting is it sometimes feels like puzzle pieces. And I just want to read 1 Corinthians 13. It says, For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so we have this idea of, sometimes I only get a clue. It's like getting a, literally a puzzle piece. And then I come around someone else who God gave a different piece, and we put them together, and we're like, oh, that's what that was about. I've been praying for God to tell me what was going on, but I didn't have all of the picture, and I don't know why that happens, but we sometimes have little pieces that they seem obscure, it's not sure, and then all of a sudden in the moment, uh, the timeliness, it seems to be correct. Um, Psalm 22, I don't have time to read it, but if you read it, in its time, just seem like an interesting description of somebody getting hurt, tortured. Their their mouth is dried up like a part shard. There are dogs around me, and that's a specific term, a pack of villains encircles me. And as you get to the moment where Jesus is being crucified, you look back and see, oh, yeah, that's exactly, even weirdly descriptive of what happened down to all my bones are on display. People stare and go over me, they divide up my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. It says that they pierced my hands and feet. We see it in the timeliness. That made a lot of sense, but when it was given, it was just a clue, right? Um, I want to make a quick warning that um, they're all false prophets. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous. And so we want to be very wise as we come to Allow this to be discerned, tested against the scriptures, uh, people are meant to pray over these things, and not just act on them, but ask God, what is this for? Is this something I need to know? I'm going to skip over um, the section that we had prepared for discerning of spirits, and I'll try to fin- figure out a way to, to bring that in here, but here's, here's the last call that I think is important. One time, I had a, uh, a moment where I was praying with a group of pastors there are seven of us in a room and it was very strategic like we're talking do we go we, we have a night service do we get rid of that saturday night service and then do instead of two services on sunday morning should we do three services on sunday morning we're talking and one of us has the novel idea let's pray about it all right So we actually agree in this moment and stop our debating as to what's the best strategic move for our church to do. And we pray, God, what do you want us to know in this moment? And we're just kind of taking turns praying. And all of a sudden, this picture pops into my mind of a giant cancerous mass. Like eight or nine feet. And it's like this big, like gross, meaty mass thing. And it's got tentacles kind of coming out like you see maybe a tumor might look like. And this thing is rolling down a hallway inside of our church in a building very close to one of the pastors who's sitting in the room with me. And he's just kind of casually walking, unaware. And this thing keeps kind of just barely getting the tentacle on his right shoulder. But he's just staying ahead of it. It's not quite getting him, but it's chasing him. It's kind of rolling after him, trying to get to him. Now, this is what separated that thought. It hit hard. It bothered me, and I smelled it. In that moment, I remember thinking, oh, this thing just smells horrible, like some kind of decaying flesh. And I remember, that's weird, right? I sat on that because there is no way in God's green earth that this environment would have been okay with me saying, I think I might have had a prophetic vision. And I told my wife, I told the janitor who worked there because we were good friends, and I told the children's ministry um, person because we were also good friends and we shared an office. Two years later, you know, I sat with that. It bothered me. A week goes by, two weeks go by. I forget. Two years later, I get a phone call, and they say, Pastor Joe just went to the emergency room. They told him to go straight, or he just went to a doctor's appointment. They told him to go straight to the emergency room because they found a cancerous mass in his brain. Now, in that moment, my heart dropped, right? The, the janitor who I was talking to, he said he heard it, and he dropped the phone right in front of him. Like, he, he's like, Eric. God told Eric about this. And so what what I walked away from was this. Was I so afraid of people that I could have given this guy a two-year warning and he could have gone to the doctor and maybe got the jump on this thing. Now, I didn't feel confident enough to share. I didn't feel like the environment would be open for that. I didn't know what to do with it. I don't go around feeling super guilty about that all the time. But what I do have is a little more urgency and boldness in my heart to speak the things that I feel like God is telling me because I think he wanted me to maybe act on that one. Now he was able to get a uh, 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 surgery, they got most of it, he lived for two or three more years and then eventually something that was still left in there um, grew and and he passed away. What would have happened if I had mentioned it to him? And I don't know. Um, I know what, what I did is I acted in fear and what I don't want for Common Ground Northeast is to act out of fear. And so here is my call to practice these gifts responsibly let them weigh and test against the scriptures ask the Holy Spirit to clarify do all the things that need to be done to reasonably hold these gifts but be courageous be bold that's one of our values our highest value be bold be courageous speak out if you feel like God is telling you to do something let's pray and so father thank you so much for for the power that you have given us, the empowerment that you have given us through your word. Thank you, Jesus, for stepping in and sending the Holy Spirit that we now get to go before the community of believers with the ability to speak into each other's lives with messages that come from you, Jesus. God, help us to be very responsible. Help us to be people of the word. Help us to uh, know how to weigh them. Help us to be discerning as people. But God, help us to be bold that we would not, as Thessalonians say, quench the spirit or despise prophecies, but instead weigh them, test them. So we ask for that outpouring on this Pentecost Sunday. Um, And we ask, Lord, that for those who have words of knowledge, words of wisdom, who walk in faith, For those who have gifts of hospitality, administration, encouragement, God, all of the gifts, not just these more sensational ones. We want every gift emboldened to be practiced in this community of believers so that we can lean on each other powerfully as a community. Holy Spirit, pour yourself out on us. And as I pray for so many years, speak to us, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to, to see. Father, we want to We ask for this right now in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.